Good morning, brethren and sisters. We begin today by taking a look right away at the 26th chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 26. There are two sections in this chapter which I am going to read and I would ask you to follow me in the reading carefully because every word is important. Deuteronomy chapter 26 verses 1 to 9 first of all and then after that verses 16 to 19. Verse 1 And it shall be when thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possessest it and dwellest therein that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the ground which thou shalt bring in from thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and thou shalt put it in a basket and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. And thou shalt come unto the priest, that thou shalt uh, be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the plan which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand, and set it down before the altar, of the Lord thy God and thou shalt answer and say before the Lord thy God a Syrian ready to perish was my father and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there few in number and he became there a nation a great mighty and populous nation and the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage and we cried unto the Lord the God of our fathers and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression and the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders and he hath brought us unto this place and hath given us this land a land flowing with milk and honey verse 16 this day the Lord thy God commandeth thee to do these statutes and judgments thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and that thou shouldest walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be a peculiar people unto himself as he hath promised thee and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in, which he hath made 
in praise and in name and in honour and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he hath spoken. Well, there can be no doubt that the people of Israel were a peculiar people in the sight of the Lord their God. They were destined for high purpose as no other nation was destined. They were called to separation and they were consequently made holy as no other nation was made holy. They were living under the special and providential care of God. They had this uh, strange and peculiar relationship with him. They were encompassed by a way of life which was quite distinct and quite distinguishable. It was different from all others. Now all this is clear, unmistakable, evident as you ponder the Old Testament. And that passage we read from Deuteronomy 26 uh, makes it clear beyond any shadow of doubt. You knew it already, you knew it well. I drew our attention to it to enforce it upon our minds today. There's another interesting, significant and unequivocal passage which tells us the same thing. It's in the 19th chapter of Exodus. Would you like to look at that? Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 um, the passage is not, uh, verse 1 to verse 6 Exodus 19 in the third month after the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai and when they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the wilderness of Sinai they pitched in the wilderness and there Israel encamped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and God called him out of the mountain and said, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me from among all peoples for all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel Now there is one thing about the passages we have read so far, there is one thing upon which this special and peculiar relationship with God rested. There is one thing upon which it was based. One thing which really caused it to exist. And that one thing, brethren and sisters, was this. Their deliverance from Egypt. 
in both those passages as you remember it and as we looked at them this was the very pivot of the declaration for instance in Deuteronomy 26 verse 8 the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders and he hath brought us unto this place and he hath given us this land a land flowing with milk and honey and when we uh, read Exodus 19 again verse 4 God said you see what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle wings and brought you unto myself now therefore if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me so you see the issue is this they were a peculiar people because of their deliverance the deliverance from Egypt was the pole star of their life it was the great central fact of their separation it was the essential quality of their sanctification it was the one great event in their history to which all other things were related it was the one great event by which all other things were measured and judged this act of redemption from Egypt was the point of triangulation now you'll be saying what on earth does he mean so I'm going to explain what I mean I said it was the point of triangulation it's a deliberate phrase I will explain what I mean when men are surveying land eventually they discover a point at which all their lines meet it's the place upon which all their measurements seem to converge and when that point has been discovered and when it's been fixed they drive in a stake and they mark the point upon their maps both on the land by the stake and the mark on their maps they call that the point of triangulation it's the place where all the lines meet and consequently thereafter from which all measurements are made and all their judgments are taken the point of triangulation now for the people of God the deliverance from Egypt was the point of triangulation it was the point where all the lines met it was the point where all the interest converged it was the point consequently from which all judgments had to be taken and made it was the stake by which all their measurements were made constantly therefore as you will know constantly thereafter when God spoke to them about their life he always began by saying I am the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt 
and out of the house of bondage how often have you read it it prefixed almost everything he had to say to them constantly he said I am the Lord thy God but not only the Lord thy God but the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and so many things in their life henceforth were related to this first great act of deliverance the day when they were saved by the Lamb's blood the first great act of Passover now the book of Deuteronomy will show this to be so the book of Deuteronomy will reveal to us that in all kinds of ways and at all kinds of levels all the things of their life were related to this deliverance from Egypt now I want to prove that to you and I'm going to ask you to look with me at quite a lot of passages in the book of Deuteronomy um, so if you're willing let's go remember the point all these passages are calculated to show us that so many things in the life of Israel were related to this one great act of deliverance Deuteronomy then Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7 we read this passage yesterday but we won't harm ourselves by reading it again Deuteronomy 8 verse 7 once we've got the book, book of Deuteronomy we should be able to turn the passages up quickly because it's only a matter of turning a page each time um, Deuteronomy 8 verse 7 then for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land a land of brooks of water of uh, fountains and depths springing forth into valleys and hills a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of oil and olives and honey a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness and thou shalt not lack anything in it a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass and thou shalt eat bread and be full and thou shalt bless um, the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee and beware lest thou forget the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage you notice all the things in that passage eating and drinking and enjoyment and success and progress the right way to live in the midst of blessing and abundance the safeguard against pride and self-satisfaction the wrong kind of independence remember when these things are upon you remember this one thing remember the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage Deuteronomy chapter 13 
Deuteronomy chapter 13 If there arise in the midst of thee a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he give thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spoke saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them then shalt not thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or unto that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken rebellion against the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of bondage to draw thee away out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in so shalt thou put away evil from the midst of thee another interesting aspect faithfulness to the holy word of God fidelity towards his revealed truth the capacity to know rebellion and not only to know rebellion but to recognize it not just rebellion of any kind but rebellion against the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage now in this same chapter uh, going on from where we stopped verse 6 let's notice verse 6 if thy brother thy son or thy mother or thy daughter or the wife of thy bosom or thy friend which is as thine own soul if they entice thee secretly saying let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known thou nor thy fathers he's talking about the forces which are calculated to draw away the people of God from faithful obedience to God's will and uh, it matters not what the force is the force may be personified in, uh, in wife or friend or, or brother or child nevertheless now have a look at verse 10 if this happens if this force draws the people of God away from their high destiny notice what happens verse 10 and thou shalt stone him with stones that he die because he hath sought to draw thee away from the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage Deuteronomy 60 Deuteronomy 16 here's another aspect <coughs> observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God for in the month Abib the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night 
this great act of remembrance this one supreme act of celebration to which the people of Israel were called it was designed to keep alive in their hearts and in their minds the redemption which had made them God's peculiar people the redemption which had separated them and made them holy and so Moses said keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God for in the month of Abib the Lord thy God brought thee out of Egypt by night Deuteronomy verse 1 chapter 20 chapter 20 Well, we come in this passage to quite another thing, quite another aspect of their life. Deuteronomy chapter 20. When thou goest forth to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, and the people more than thou, thou shalt not be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt courage and competence in battle holy faith in the promise of Yahweh their God to keep them and care for his people just notice the mark and the measurement of their courage and their competence thou shalt not be afraid of them for the Lord thy God is he which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 24 another aspect of life Though, this is verse 14 of Deuteronomy 24 Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy, of thy stranger that are in thy land within thy gates. In his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shalt the sun go down upon it. And he is poor, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take the widow's raiment to pledge, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee from thence therefore I command thee to do this thing and when thou reapest thine harvest in thy field and hast forgot a sheaf in the field thou shalt not go back again to fetch it it shall be for the stranger and for the fatherless and for the widow that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands and when thou beatest thine olive tree thou shalt not go over the boughs again it shall be for the stranger and for the fatherless and for the widow and when thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard thou shalt not glean it after thee 
it shall be for the stranger and for the fatherless and for the widow for thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt therefore I command thee to do this thing kindness and generosity and justice and compassion though they were a separate nation from all other nations yet nevertheless even to the stranger they were to manifest these noble qualities and there was one compelling reason why they were to do this thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt and that Yahweh thy God redeemed thee from thence therefore because of this I command thee to do this thing I hope you're not weary with all these references Deuteronomy 29 that's the last reference Deuteronomy 29 now in this 29th chapter of Deuteronomy Moses in this passage is warning the people against the peril of we won't go through it it's a long, it's a long chapter and we, w- we won't read through it but I, as you will know you are well tutored in the word of God you will know that this is so in this 29th chapter of Deuteronomy Moses is warning the people against the peril of neglect he's warning them against the possibility of their turning away from the holy covenant which God has given to them and also is warning them of the awful judgment which will follow if they do this now what I want you to notice brothers and sisters is the reason let's mark the reason carefully why this is so it's in verse 25 of Deuteronomy 29 if this should happen if they should turn away from this holy covenant Moses says then men shall say because they forsook the covenant of the Lord the God of their fathers which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt now why is that so interesting it's so interesting because even in the mouth of other men even in the mouth of other people outside the covenant the point of triangulation is marked this was the Lord their God which brought them forth out of the house out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage well that was some of the evidence in the book of Deuteronomy as to why they were a peculiar people and upon what that peculiar relationship was based they were a peculiar people because of deliverance and of course the evidence as you know the evidence could be multiplied for quite apart from the book of Deuteronomy all through the Old Testament constantly there is testimony that this great act of deliverance was the touchstone of their life it was the hallmark of their separation and the fact that they were the people of God now brethren and sisters the real issue is this that as far as we are concerned in our own discipleship the same thing is true the very same thing which we have read about in Deuteronomy is revealed to us and established for us 
in the New Testament. These things which we have read this morning already, these things were written aforetime for our admonition. They were written for us as well as for them. In our discipleship there is one great act of deliverance. In our discipleship there is one great act of redemption. And because of it, we are a peculiar people by deliverance. Like them, we are blood sprinkled and chosen. As Peter puts it, quoting the very words which we have read from Deuteronomy, we are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a peculiar people unto the Lord our God. And there is for us also a point of triangulation for once in the course of human time, in the long process of the centuries, once men drove in a stake and upon that stake they crucified the king and that place once marked is the place of divine triangulation it is for us the place where all lines meet it is for us the place from which all judgments are made. It is for us the place from which all measurements are taken. Everything in your life and mine is related to that place of triangulation. Everything in your life and mine, as it was in theirs, is measured by our relationship to this one place and by our relationship to this one act of redemption. The fact that we are delivered from bondage, the fact that we now stand in the presence of uh, superlative freedom is the evidence that we are a people, a peculiar people by deliverance. All the things that we have read about, about the people of God in Deuteronomy, all those things are rediscovered in the New Testament. Can I just illustrate what I mean? My next reference is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Now you know I keep saying to you, every word in the Bible is important. You know, I've said this so many times at Oxford that, that they're just putting up with it now. They're very kind people there, really every word by our relationship to this one act of redemption the fact that we are delivered from bondage the fact that we now stand in the presence of uh, superlative freedom is the evidence that we are a people a peculiar people by deliverance all the things that we have read about about the people of God in Deuteronomy all those things are rediscovered in the New Testament can I just illustrate what I mean? My next reference is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Now you know I keep saying to you, 
Every word in the Bible is important. You know, I've said this so many times at Oxford that, that they're just putting up with it now. They're very kind people there, really. Every word in the Bible is important. Now, there's a word here that's very important and you could pass it over. I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Purge out the old leaven that she may be a new lump even as ye are unleavened for our Passover also hath been sacrificed even Christ wherefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth do you know the important word in that passage? It's the word also. I'm reading from the Revised Version. I hope the word also is in your authorised. But purge out the old leaven that she may be a new lump for our Passover also. And that word also relates us immediately to them. It takes us back over the centuries to that great act of deliverance by which they were delivered. That Passover which marked their separation. The word also, you see, it spans, it spans the, the, the centuries and joins us together with all the things that mark them as the peculiar and holy people of God. So that also is the vital word and all the things even the ordinary things of our life are related to our one great act of redemption just as theirs was and just as we've tried to see so far well now let me illustrate then more fully what I mean have you ever have you ever noticed, brothers and sisters, when the New Testament writers are dealing with some local situation or some local problem, they never deal with it by local methods. Instead, they are always bringing to bear upon it some perpetual principle. Um, whenever they dealt with the temporal, it was always on the basis of the eternal. Something of the day or the hour is looked at in the atmosphere of eternity. You would expect them to deal with eternal things on the basis of eternal principles. Of course, this you would expect. But this was their method when they were dealing with quite ordinary and commonplace things. They corrected the wrong things of the passing moment by bringing them to uh, the measurement of the perpetual things. Whatever was wrong, whatever needed to be explained or dealt with, this was the way it was done. On any level, this was how it was done. Let me quickly give you some examples. I'm thinking of Ephesians 5 now. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, you can read this. Husbands love your wives. The Apostle Paul is seeking to preserve marriage at its very highest level. He says, Husbands love your wives. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Or in the same chapter in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, he says, Wives be in subjection to your own husbands as 
unto the Lord or again uh, he speaks to employers he says masters forbear threatening this is in chapter 6 of Ephesians verse 9 masters forbear threatening knowing that you have a master also in heaven is a, a remarkable thing the fact that Christ sits on the throne of universal empire in heaven is Paul's justification for giving a word of exhortation to employers or, or the same to employees in Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 10 he says servants obey your masters in all things that ye may adorn the doctrine of God your saviour so quite seemingly ordinary things I mean industrial relations brother president industrial relations are measured by this great religious principle so that's what I mean you see ordinary things with which they dealt are dealt with on the basis of these eternal principles now the reason I draw attention to this is that when we read 2 Corinthians 8 we were in one of the best examples of this very principle that all the things of our life are related to this great act of redemption and 2 Corinthians 8 is a splendid example now why is it so good? why is it so apt? well because in 2 Corinthians 8 the Apostle Paul is dealing with a very commonplace thing you know what he's dealing with? a collection did you hear the story about the ship that was in peril on the sea? it was in real danger the sea was very rough and it was almost overwhelmed they'd done everything, everything they could from a nautical point of view to save it all their seamanship had been um, used up and there was nothing more to be done the captain was on the bridge he called the first mate he said well we've done everything we can from a nautical point of view we shall be lost he said we shall have to turn to God so he said to the first mate he said first mate I want you to go below and organise something religious so the first mate went below and he took a collection Well now, do you know the point of that story? The point of that story is trying to tell us that to think that taking a collection is a religious thing is a very silly thing. Nobody in their right mind would think that taking a collection is a religious thing. And that story is wrong. Utterly wrong. In 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul says, taking a collection is a very spiritual thing indeed. A very religious thing. Do you know what he called it? A grace. As ye abound in everything, see that ye abound in this grace also. He was exhorting these Corinthians in the name of Christ. He was exhorting them to generosity see that ye abound in this grace also he said an ordinary thing but a spiritual thing now what was his method what was his method 
to exhort them to generosity in their giving in this collection have a look at verse 9 for notice the word for be generous he said abound in this grace why? for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he were rich yet for your sakes became he poor that ye through his poverty might become rich just for those of you who are especially interested in biblical exposition and that's everybody I expect may I just tell you that uh, the word here translated poor means absolute destitution I don't think it occurs anywhere else in the New Testament but it means absolute destitution a condition where there is no more to give now you see what I am anxious to uh, emphasize is that in the New Testament Ecclesia the, the immediate and the foremost effect of the atonement the great act of deliverance was a practical one I know that in the context of the atonement there are theological issues which emerge and which by the New Testament writers are explained and exposed but so often their foremost and their regular references to the sacrifice of Christ are on the practical level that is to say they are saying to us because the Saviour did this for you because you have been delivered you ought to behave differently you, this is how you ought to behave because you've been delivered let me give you two quick examples Titus 2 verse 11 Titus 2 verse 11 for the grace of God hath appeared for the grace of God hath appeared that's what we've been talking about the deliverance for the grace of God hath appeared bringing salvation unto all men instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world the effect of the atonement is practical or the second uh, Corinthian letter in chapter 5 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 A well-known passage for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that in order that they which live should no longer live unto themselves but unto him who for their sakes died and rose again the foremost and the immediate teaching of our Lord's sacrifice in the New Testament church was a practical one that is to say it was taught in such a manner as to affect the behaviour of those who believed in it and those who were by it saved and so the effect of this argument ought to be to ask you to inquire of yourself not now necessarily but some of the time quietly and searchingly to what extent and in what manner the sacrifice of your Saviour is changing your life 
and provoking you to high enterprise in his cause but you can think of 2 Corinthians 8 as your starting point the grace of giving um, Paul said to the Corinthians in verse 1 of that chapter we make known to you the grace of God and then in verse 7 ye abound in everything he said see that ye abound in this grace also just in passing um, notice that the word everything in the mind of the apostle Paul it didn't take in something that probably a good many of the Corinthians lacked that was material wealth but it did, notice what it did take in it said ye abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and earnestness and love and upon the basis of that abounding wealth he appealed to the Corinthians and his final argument was ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he were rich yet for your sakes became he poor that she through his poverty might become rich now of course the local colouring has faded now but those principles upon which he spoke they shine as brightly as ever for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the idea behind that sentence is that this man of Nazareth for our sakes has placed all his resources at our disposal and therefore the intention is that we in response to that ought to place all our resources at his disposal of course I say we ought I know that I'm speaking ideally I know that we do not perhaps I oughtn't to say that I know that I do not and when I say resources I'm not just thinking of pounds and pence and I've forgotten where I am rands and cents I'm not just thinking of rands and cents I'm thinking of the abounding wealth which has come to you as it came to those Corinthians and what is true of rands and cents is true of all giving your time your ability your care if if you were to look at the 16th chapter of the first Corinthian letter the apostle Paul there uh, explains the nature of giving no matter what it is it isn't just it isn't just rands and cents but giving at every level first of all he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16 he says first of all it is to be personal on uh, let each one of you he says let each one of you therefore it is to be personal and then it is to be regular on the first day of the week he says and then it is to be perpetually adjusted according as God hath prospered you and so inspired discipleship is not something which is to be spasmodic and dilettante it is to be faithful and sustained and even sacrificial it's an interesting thing Paul's words about the manner of giving in this 16th chapter notice how the chapter begins doesn't it begin now concerning the collection for the saints 
the first verse of chapter 16 now concerning the collection for the saints it comes immediately after the great chapter on resurrection which is not something which is to be spasmodic and dilettante it is to be faithful and sustained and even sacrificial it's an interesting thing Paul's words about the manner of giving in the 16th chapter notice how the chapter begins doesn't it begin now concerning the collection for the saints the first verse of chapter 16 now concerning the collection for the saints it comes immediately after the great chapter on resurrection the chapter uh, 15 which climbs to the heights one of the noblest one of the most exalted chapters perhaps in the whole of the New Testament it climbs to the heights and as you know it, it, it concludes with some of the greatest words O death where is thy victory O grave where is thy sting thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ wherefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord now concerning the collection for the saints isn't that interesting what does it mean he moves from one exalted thing to another exalted thing and it means this that in the mind of this man Paul our giving ought to be put in full relationship to the highest and the noblest doctrines of our faith it means that our giving on any level and not just rands and cents but on any level our giving ought to be realised in the full tide of our spiritual life it means that you ought to measure your giving in the light of that life which was won out of death by the sacrifice and the resurrection of the Son of God why? for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he were rich yet for your sakes became he poor that ye through his poverty might become rich now this is the counterpart of what we have been looking at in Deuteronomy all the things of our life our giving on every level our discipleship our readiness to serve our willingness to be here all the things of our life are related to this one great act of redemption we are a peculiar people by deliverance this is one of the superlative examples of where our discipleship is discovered way back in this book of Deuteronomy. Amen.